Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I wanted to start this show with saying how grateful I am for every single one of you who tune in into this show and also sharing your input with me. I wanted to give a shout out to MS Korisak from US. I hope I, I pronounced uh, his or her or her username right. There was a review on iTunes. I said, this podcast really was a help in opening my mind to a lot of different things. I love it. Thank you so much for your kind words, your encouragement. It's really helped me to keep pushing and producing these shows. And also it helps us to reach a broader audience. As I shared with many of you guys growing up, sex education wasn't something accessible to me. And my goal is to make it available and accessible to everyone. So if you have a moment, I really appreciate if you go over iTunes or in Stitchers and write us an honest review. Today, we're going to talk about toxic shame reduction using sexological approach. We have a very special guest, Dr. Patty Britton. She was our guest on episode 14, and she talked about sexual empowerment. And Dr. Patty is one of the well-known sex educators, one of the pioneers in the field of sexology. And it's certainly my honor to have her back. And I think this is very important topic because many of the young people, even that are coming to my practice and they're kind of get help, they want help around their sexuality. It's really very unfortunate to see that the big part of their struggle is coming from them uh, not being comfortable with their sexuality, with their urges, feeling shameful about having sexual desire. So Dr. Patty walks us through on how we can get rid of this unhelpful reaction and emotion that we have. So if this is a topic you're interested, I highly recommend you guys to uh, listen to this episode. Dr. Patty Britton is a clinical sexologist sexuality educator, and the pioneer of sex coaching with top-level credentials. As a well-respected world leader in sexology, she's an academic, author of five books, popular speaker, trainer, and workshop leader, and host of over 40 DVDs for couple sexual enhancement, Side note, I have many of those DVDs. Those are great. If you guys, like me, are a visual learner. She's a frequent guest on Expert Summits, national television shows, documentaries, live talk and news radio, and is coded in various magazines and publications. She has a private practice in LA and via Skype globally. Dr. Patty is the co-founder of Sex Coach U, the world's premium credentialing and training organization for sex coaching for the students in 65 countries. With her late partner, Robert Dunlop, she hosted groundbreaking weekly radio podcasts on happy aging, which are archived at theboomdoctors.com. Her websites are drpattybritton.com 
and sexcoachyou.com. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Patty Britton. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am honored and excited to have clinical sexologist and great sex educator, Dr. Patty Britton, back on our show. Dr. Patty, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. It's such a thrill to be back here again. I am so excited to have you for another episode because I, first of all, our listeners love the interview we had over a year ago, and I keep hearing that they found it very informative and helpful. And I think today's interview we're going to be great as well because the sexual shame is like shame associated with sexuality. It is such a big part of people's challenges. I certainly see it in my office. So I'm very yes. excited to hear about your approach when it comes to this issue. You know, when people interview me or when I'm working with my students that I train in sexology or when I'm with my clients, that issue of shame, and I call it toxic shame, shows up all the time. And it's so endemic. It's so systemic. It's so universal in our culture and many other cultures around how we feel about our bodies, about our own sexual expression, and about sexuality in general. So I'm really, I'm looking forward to diving into this. It's a very, very huge and deep topic. Right. And I'm kind of curious. Again, I'm, I see many Middle Eastern clients and people who are living in LA. And as you said, it's very endemic. So I'm kind of curious, why do you think many people are struggling with this? Well, I think that part of it is there are so many conflicting messages about sex and about what is sex. And sexuality is such a bigger way of looking at sex itself. Sex is usually, when I think about sex, I think about the act. Think about the actions related to expressing our sexual desires, our sexual energy, our connection alone and or with another person. And yet when you think about the landscape in the background and, and, you know, my heart goes out to Middle Eastern cultures who have so many conflicting and often very negative messaging Mm -hmm. as they grow up, the cultural messaging, the family messaging, this is true for everyone and religious values, all of the aspects of what informs us as we grow up those don't really go away. They find their place within us. Sometimes they find their place within our bodies, by the way. And we need to do some deep, uh, <laughs> I was going to say exercising, but like excavation. <laughs> exercising is that, helpful too. Uh, exercising, <laughs> exercising, exercising. <laughs> we excavate all that junk that gets stuck even in the fascia, in our muscles, in our nervous system, in our neural pathways. And I'm not here to talk about the physiology because that isn't really my area of expertise. But, you know, when we look at sexuality, we look at the whole person. And that includes their bodies, their anatomy, their physiology, their health. It includes their religious and family and cultural values and all the messaging they got as children growing up in their society, in their town, in their family system. And it includes things like how media portrays beauty, that that huge topic of body image issues that pervades so much around shame. Oh my God, the, the, the issue around negative self-talk and negative concept of body image for women in particular is just profound. And it's one of the areas that I really love helping women to overcome. 
But there's also, here's the other thing about sex and sexuality. We're uncomfortable about it. Most humans are nervous about it. Most, most people are just walking in discomfort. And, and, and to just go further into laying the context behind this, there's also vulnerability when we're sexual with somebody in particular, especially if there's something at stake like a long-term committed marriage or other form of relationship is at stake. And we know that sex is sometimes part of the glue that binds us or the right. fuel that keeps it going. And when it's not there, it can really be what stops a relationship from thriving because sex relates to our health and our wellness and our connection with our partner if we're in that kind of relationship. But there's a vulnerability. When we're sexual, we're actually in a very vulnerable place. Energetically, emotionally, physically, if you think about what is sex, again, we, we have to define what is sex. So there are so many things that really, it, it, it comes usually from the outside external focus of messages and of experiences like being shamed in the locker room as a young person around how your body looks or a word you might say or you know, getting caught kissing someone. And of course, today we're in the cyber age where <laughs> that is so old school. You know, now we have, unfortunately, young kids who are, you know, looking on their smart devices and watching porn. And, and that's a problem because it's not age appropriate and they're not able to really integrate that and understand it. So all of these things become part of the soup, you know, like we're in this big soup bowl that informs us, that goes into us. And then we internalize a lot of these negative messages that become self-shaming. Things like, I'm too fat, or my breasts aren't big enough, or my thighs are too big, or my hair is thinning. There's so many men who have issues around hair thinning. As Even I've had clients in their 20s who've lost their hair, men, and they're like, oh, I'm not sexy anymore. And I always say things to them like, now, wait a minute. Sometimes it's that bald guy who's the object <laughs> of women's interest when we speak heteronormatively mm-hmm. because sexy is associated with baldness because of high testosterone. <laughs> so, right. you know, I, I, I love to the words I use, and I'm sure you do too in therapy, are as a coach, I like to validate and normalize where a client is at and then help them learn how to overcome what blocks them. So that was a big answer to your question. No, because this is a huge kind of convoluted and complex topic. And I love that you mentioned that kind of it's very deep rooted. And sometimes we don't even know that how much of a problem it is. Like many people, for example, I see here, they're acculturated, they move here, they feel they're comfortable around their sexuality. But then when when it comes to it, when, when we're exploring the blocks that they're having, Many of them, they talk about the challenges they had during their childhood, like getting caught masturbating and getting shamed because of that. Yes, or in particular. Right, yeah. right. And the religious messages that kind of they receive. So it's, it is very pervasive, as you mentioned. And I think I love that you mentioned that it is also we're keeping it in our body. And sometimes that can be a block that gets in the way of us kind of expressing and being fully present when we are intimate and sexual with someone else. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I right now I actually have a client who's Middle Eastern and a male, older male who's in a marriage, long term marriage with children and is 
really my client because of the disappointments that he's experiencing of a sexless marriage, which is so common. It's the most common issue today that we face as clinicians. And that sexlessness often also leads to being closed off, to no touch. And there's so much fear around even affectionate touch. I have this system that I teach to my trainees when I'm when I'm teaching professionals, either through my sex coach university online or in professional live trainings. And even I teach my clients. And, and that's that there really are differentiating levels of touch. And we can look at this trajectory of touch from healing all the way to sexual touch, if you want to go into it. But this, that's, the, that's the trajectory of these five levels. And affection kind of sits in the middle. And couples, I think, get scared that if they're affectionate with one another, if they show compassion, if they show attraction, even friend to friend, like a hug, mm -hmm. that it's a signal to pressure for sex. And so getting off that track when you've had a train wreck, <laughs> in a right. sense, of a marriage or a relationship, same sex, other sex, um, whatever the structure is and the orientation, it takes help sometimes to get that train back on the track. There's a lot of fear in that. And there's also a sense of relying on the past failures and not looking at the potential for future success. I also see that, you know, especially from people coming from cultures, and I think a lot of your target audience as we speak today are really coming from cultural norms that don't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And coming to this country, for example, from norms where male roles are so tightly defined and female roles as well, these gender role scripts, and then coming here and all this freedom, quote, big air quotes around freedom, to, to be in different ways or pressure to express oneself in different ways, how to adapt to new cultural norms. I think that's a big part of it. And then shame becomes this like an uh, like the flu, <laughs> mm -hmm, right. like you know, like you just feel heavy and dark and stuck and and depressed because you you can't free yourself. And it does sometimes. And I'm not promoting the idea that everybody needs therapy or everybody needs clinical sexological coaching, but many people really benefit from having an ally, from having someone who holds ground for them and also helps them po and points the way by giving them knowledge, by giving them skills, and most importantly, and I'm sure you know you, you know this clinical model called PLICIT. We right. rely in, in sexology on a model created in the 1970s by Dr. Jack Annan, who was a really famous and brilliant sex researcher and therapist from Hawaii. And, and it's a model that begins with giving your clients permission. And I find that giving permission is often the gateway for wellness, for healing, for success or happiness when it comes to overcoming shame and that that permission to be the way you are or permission to let it go. Sometimes it's about letting go. How do you do that? And I think it's so important also to give ourselves permission. And that's the message I want to give today is that you don't need to go to a clinical expert to have someone give you permission, although if the messages are so thick and heavy and strong, you may need someone else's voice, literally and figuratively, right, to override those old messaging. And so giving yourself permission, permission to explore, permission that it's okay to have a longing or a fantasy, permission to 
stop shaming yourself, you know, to say masturbation is not sinful. I don't ever impose my values on my client. Mm -hmm. So if my client comes from, let's say, a very strict religious background where it is, in fact, sinful in their belief system and values to masturbate, to touch one's own genitals for pleasure, then I'm not going to, I'm going to try. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to (laughs) try. To encourage them, to invite them, to teach them that it's actually part of healthcare, mm-hmm. especially guys. We look at studies. We, there's amazing scientific evidence that says if men do not produce ejaculation on a frequent basis, it leads to prostate problems, right. including cancer. We know that mm-hmm. scientifically. So I give permission when somebody says, oh, you know. My partner says, I'm not supposed to do that. I masturbate too frequently and all the time. Usually they say either not at all or all the time. And then we get into, what do you mean? How many days per week? Very scientifically. <laughs> right. Let's talk really specifics here. And they say, well, you know, once a week. And I go, that's not all the time. <laughs> and are you having partner sex to orgasm and to ejaculation? I will ask. And if they're not, and maybe they're 55 years old, I'll say, you know, you're actually hurting your wellness, your health status. Right. Say, <laughs> what? And I say, yes. So look, here's permission to blah, 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 blah. And they go, thank you, thank you, thank you. Could I bring my wife in? I say, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, our role is really to be a guide and a facilitator and also I think to be a voice for wellness and and that includes truth about wellness when we have science that backs up certain things I think it's our obligation to share that with our clients and our students don't don't you agree absolutely I think it's very important to kind of like convey the research and the information and use these new findings to our clients because many of the belief that are many people have is archaic and some of them it's not even related to the religion that they had uh, they have and yeah. kind of practice it's just something that they grandparents thought that's correct based on the research like hundred years ago and it's been kind of passed along to your generation. I guess the other question I really want to know about, I know you have this specific kind of sexological approach. So what is your way of helping clients and even like people who are struggling with kind of toxic shame reduction and removal of shame using this approach? Well, the, the way that I work, I do work with the model called where we begin with permission and then I provide limited information which might be, you know, here's a study that shows that males need to ejaculate to completion to clear the, the, the pipes in the, in, the, um, in the reproductive system. And we talk about how the reproductive system is formed and where the prostate is and blah, blah, blah. But there's a different approach when we look at sexology and we compare it to Psychotherapy, for example, and I have many clients who actually 100% of my clients are referred to me by their psychotherapist. And that's because what we find in mental health care is that there's, there's a fear that many mental health care providers have about even entering into a conversation about sex. They don't feel comfortable. They don't have knowledge. They don't have the skills even to know what questions to ask. If I'm going to ask someone a question about sexual behavior, I'm going to have to get very nuanced and, again, specific about, well, when you masturbate, is your hand 
going in a circular direction over the corona or the head of your penis? And do you hold it tightly and then blah, 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 and on we go. And so those kinds of questions are really what we use as clinicians in sexology to unearth and understand very concretely what is going on, what is working sexually, and then we can address what is not working sexually alone and are with partner. And so there's a really a lack of training in mental health care and in med- medicine training. In, in the medical schools, there's a rule that at the very most 10 hours in an entire medical school training program is addressing sexuality. And it's often the pathology, the diseases, the breakdown, the, the, the mechanical remedies, the drugs that are available. There rarely are trainings for medical providers, including mental health care providers, that address the, the pathway to pleasure, the pathway of the meaningfulness of sex and sexual connection and sexual expression. So this is a huge differential between therapy and medicine, I'll call it, and sexology. Our approach is humanistic. Mm-hmm. We look at the whole person and we come from a sex-positive, depathologizing perspective. It's, it's, a, it's a filter. I've had it my whole life. That's why this was the <laughs> career that picked me. I didn't pick it. I've just always been this way. And I always, you know, and I, I, I w- it's not that I was sexual at an early age. It, it's that I was alive at an early age. And I had this pro-sex positive view mm-hmm. of sexual expression and eroticism, which is to me in a simple way, the precursor to our sexual expression. So the sexological approach that I've created is a five-part holistic model where I look at my client, I'm talking client-centered, and I teach this to all my students as well. And I differentiate between the mind the emotions, the body, energy, and spirit. And when I deconstruct that, I look at where in these realms of the sexual self is this person stuck? Do they have a a value that says touching your own genitals is is shameful, sinful, bad, and wrong, don't ever do it? Well, if, if that's how you feel about this part of your body, whether you look at it as sacred or disgusting, or it's just there, if you feel that way, it's going to be very difficult for you to relax and to carry pleasure into a partner encounter. And especially when there are there still are arranged marriages or marriages that are pressured to become the marriage or the relationship, and there's no road test. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is what I hear all the time. You know, people meet, they're put into these assigned relationships, and then sex isn't working or attraction isn't there. I have recently had a couple who came to see me, and there was no attraction, but there was a reason for their connection sexually. And so there are many, many reasons why sex isn't working in a relationship, but looking at the mental realm, what are you telling yourself, all of that mental messaging, which becomes part of the shaming mechanism. How you speak to yourself creates really bad tracks in your brain. These right. are neural pathways that come out of trauma, come out of negative self-talk, negative input. And we can reframe that. That's part of the, the techniques that I use is helping clients reframe, helping them replace that negative mechanism that's running in their brain. You know, we can hear it sometimes. We can actually hear it playing, you know, like you're not good enough. You're not young enough. 
you're not, you don't deserve that. <laughs> that kind of thing that I was going to say tape, but we don't have tapes anymore. So <laughs> that, I'm coming from generation tape. of tapes. So I, I got you. Yeah, that MP3 digital stream that's going on in your brain. But we, we can literally connect with that. We can, we can hear it. We can feel it. We can sense it if it's not literal. And we need to learn how to reverse that. I also think that part of the, the journey to de-shaming, and de- it's, it's, it's almost like decluttering. There's this madness going on today around decluttering. And, you know, this is the tidying up. Right. <laughs> forgetting her last name right now. I'm sorry. But, you know, she now has a television show. <laughs> right. And I'm obsessed. <laughs> oh, yeah, so funny. Well, I tried it and I, it didn't work for me. But, but I love the concept of decluttering. I don't like putting your clothes vertical. I, it made all my shirts <laughs> get wrinkled. But, but the idea of decluttering, the idea of quieting down, because there's too much noise in our lives. And some of that noise is the voice of shame, the voice of shame that we've internalized. And that says, you know, oh, no one's going to want to date you. And, 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 you know, I think about older people who are in the dating world today because I've been doing some interviews on sex and aging recently. And, you know, this is a tough time to be entering the dating marketplace where it's so easy to just swipe somebody away or ghost them. And so how do we really deal with the feelings that this brings up? We have to really name what's going on. So you have to be, you have to really be in touch with yourself. You have to understand what's happening for you. What are you telling yourself? What are you feeling? What's your response when your partner touches you in a certain way? Are you contracting or are you expanding? That's one of the ways of understanding when you're de-shaming and when you're reshaming yourself. And then th- this is a huge thing, and I'm sure you agree with me. You have to forgive yourself. You have to forgive others if they're a perpetrator in any way, and that's a big piece of work we all have to do as human beings. But the bigger piece of work is you have to forgive yourself. You know, especially if you had a trauma event as a child, like you were shamed by your dad because of something you did, or a teacher, or another student. Uh, It's so easy to have that happen as a child. And if you don't have the capacity for forgiveness of them and that event, and yourself, because usually you blame yourself. Usually self-blame goes with self-shame, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have to really find the good. I'm, I'm about the silver linings in life. And I coach all of my clients and teach my students, help people go toward what you want and look for the joy and the good. You have to be, you have to have that filter operating at all times. Because if you don't, you're going to wallow in your shame or your grief or your fear or whatever that emotional state is. Toxic shame affects everything. It's like bad weather inside Mm -hmm. you, and it affects how you move through the world. It's a little bit deeper and bigger than just being scared or just feeling guilty about something. Toxic shame is, it's, 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 as I said earlier, it's endemic and systemic. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge issue. This is Brene Brown's whole life's work, which is so powerful in what she does. And I really feel that we need to understand that it's our obligation to ourselves, to our wellness, to anchor into that, that, that uncomfortable state of being in toxic shame and begin to really unearth and then 
liberate ourselves from that. That is so no. This is so wonderful, and I and I like that the holistic approach that you have because I feel many people miss some part of the puzzle, like you know, only focusing on emotion or like with physicians only for uh, focusing on physiological response, and it's important to keep the whole person in mind. So I think that is very important. The other thing I wanted to tell you about, like I know that many sex therapists claim to be inclusive and sex positive. And I think many of them are, but I think you're one of the few people that are very, you're very open-minded, very inclusive. I, when I attended your SAR, uh, it was very wonderful and very kind of like we got exposed to broad range of things. And for our listeners, I didn't know SAR, you, you were one of the founding person, right, Dr. Patty? Well, I've, I'm one of the people who in the 1970s, uh, I had my first SAR experience. With, it's a sensitivity training that helps you clarify your values. Mm-hmm. And it clears, it, it's, it's designed to make you uncomfortable <laughs> as, right. a, as, a, as someone who works with other people in this broad field of sexuality studies. And so therapists come, doctors come, medical doctors come, nurses, my sex coach community is required to attend a SAR by me or someone I've approved. We have people who work in all aspects of sexuality who attend a SAR. And it's a, usually it's a weekend event. I'm leading one in February. Here in Los Angeles, I have two seats left. If anybody wants to come to it, hurry up. I highly recommend that, yes. Uh, thank you. I don't I don't advertise them because I'm I'm so known in the world. I've led over fifty of these SARS in seven countries over the last decade, and I've just written the book. The only training manual on how to design and lead a successful SAR is available through the publisher, uh, which is Routledge, and also on Amazon. And it's a training manual for any of you who are clinicians who are listening and you feel that calling to want to provide that kind of training for your peers and colleagues. But SAR is important because it it is about diversity. It is about inclusivity. And that's why when I speak, I... I often clarify male, female, cisgendered male, cisgendered female, or trans person, or um, whatever your orientation is. You could be LGBTQIAS++. That's how broad mm-hmm. the spectrum is of not only our gender identification, but our sexual identification. And our, sometimes our orientation is not just about things like, well, same-sex orientation, but sometimes it's about wanting to really live a 24-7 lifestyle as someone in dominant, submissive relationship, sometimes known as, quote, master-slave, which is Mm -hmm. controversial, or sometimes a dom-sub, or however it's named. And, and, And there's a lot of stigma and a lot of shame around living in what we used to call alternative sexualities. And I hate the term lifestyle. I'm not a big fan of that. Because to me, lifestyle says, oh, this is just something we add on. And also, it's another way to marginalize people. We have to be accepting of the broad spectrum of the infinite potential of how humans can express themselves as sexual beings, as erotic beings, and to know who they truly are. My work in the world is to create spaces where people can discover who they truly are. I I call it sexual self-realization. 
And I love that. And, you know, it's interesting. The reason I was talking about this SAR is like, I thought like I worked on many of my shame challenges and like many of our listeners growing up in a more converse, uh, conservative country, although my family were kind of more open-minded and liberal. I, I internalized many of those messages and I worked through it. And I think it was, and I thought, okay, it's done. It's a done work. <laughs> I, I resolved all of those. And, you know, I came to SAR and I was surprised that, oh, my God, I feel shame a little bit here about this and that. And I think Ooh. things, events like that, it's wonderful because it gives us the areas that we need to kind of explore as a clinician and as a therapist. And I thought that was wonderful. And I know you have a like a SAR plus that you, you're doing it like internationally. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> For you really daring clinicians and educators, <laughs> come to <laughs> Poland in May. We do six days and nights experientially in a retreat center in residence. It's amazing. If you think SAR is something, <laughs> you should come to Aspects. A-S-P-E-X-2019.com is the website for it. It's, ex- it's extraordinary. It's my favorite thing I do now for work because it, we go so deep. It's about healing the personal. I love that. And I think one day I, that would be my next challenge <laughs> to do so, which is wonderful. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, you know, there's so much work to be done. There's, there is so much shame in the world. And I, I feel that I'm listening to you and I'm so, I have a tear in my eye. I'm so touched by what you said, which is that here you are and you're really a groundbreaking leader. You're a voice of really liberation if you think about it, from the cultural norm and strictures. And and you're a representative that we can live free and we can live consciously and enlightened. And at the same time, you come into the room for the SAR and you realize, oh my God, this button got pushed or that button got Mm -hmm. pushed, which is what it's designed to do. It's it's designed to let us look at our own boundaries. And and I know for me, I'm I'm so huge a container, meaning I can work with almost anything regarding sexuality, almost anything and anyone. But there are limits. If somebody is practicing unsafe sex behavior and putting someone's life at risk and not disclosing that, that's a person I can't work with. And so even I have my boundaries and and I get triggered. And I hold space for people's greatest good and for their wellness, whatever that's defined as for their for their health, for their happiness, and really to to be fulfilled as a human being. Our sexuality is an essential part of being human. It's not an add-on. And so I'm here to be that voice. Amen. And thank you so much for your kind words and all the nice encouragement that you that you shared with me. I really treasure that and I appreciate that. And I know that you work in all as- aspects of sex education and sexology and all of that. I have like your erotica book. I have your SARS book. I have your videos. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. You, It's like endless. The, the, the <laughs> uh, contribution that you gave our community and and we're really grateful for that. So I wanted to make sure that if our listeners want to get in touch with you, they know where to go. What would be the best way of getting a hold of you? The best way is to visit my personal website, which is drpattybritton.com. E-R-P-A-T-T-I-B-R-I-T-T-O-N.com. 
And that's where clients can sign up for a complimentary session with me. I offer 15 minutes to four people every Thursday afternoon. I love doing that. That's my service in the world. And also, I train professionals who really would like to do this kind of work. Um, My mission is to train as many professionals to become certified, qualified sex coaches around the world. My my program's in 65 countries now. Wow. (laughs) My little project. And that's at sexcoachletteru.com. And so occasionally I'll have a live event in Los Angeles or in Poland, which has been my international training hub for the last seven years, interestingly enough. And, um, you know, I just welcome anyone who wants to learn more to get in touch with me. It's, It's my privilege and my pleasure to spread this word. Thank you so much, guys. If you didn't get a chance to write down the information, we'll include it in the show notes. Dr. Patty, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. And again, thank thank you you so much for your work. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Patty Britton. It's always a treat to have her on our show. She has a wealth of great information when it comes to human sexuality. I hope you guys enjoyed their conversation as much as I enjoyed hearing from her. And I want you to also kind of like give it a shot as far as exploring your relationship with your sexual shame. What happens is often people kind of like push down all of those uncomfortable emotions around their sexuality, the shame, disgust, whatever comes up for them. And it's easier for them to kind of focus on secondary emotions like anger and kind of they don't want to engage with the shame. But what I want you to do is be curious about it. Kind of notice what do you feel in your body when shame show up? Where do you feel it in your body? What is the what is the color that you can see it has? What is the texture that you associated with it, associate with it? And be kind of be curious, like a anthropologist studying a tribe, be curious about this experience and journal about it. You know, for some people, they are able to identify the script that is associated with this feeling of shame. As Dr. Patty mentioned, we all have our internal dialogue. So if you're able to identify those internal dialogue, great, you can explore it, you can challenge it, uh, you can kind of see if it is still true or not. I always tell my client to challenge this stories that come up to their minds and kind of see if what is the evidence that supports this story. Is it an accurate thought or story or not? You know, sometimes also it's helpful to work with a therapist, with a clinician to change that script or that narrative because sometimes we're not able to find what is the story behind it. And sometimes we're kind of suppress those memories. For example, many of my clients that are trauma survivors, it's hard for them to kind of identify those thoughts or memories that's associated with it. So it would be one of those situations that it would be helpful if you get support from a therapist. All right, that was all for today. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help 
from a licensed mental health provider.